HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. For more information, visit mofad.org. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Are you interested in growing your own food but don't have access to a yard or a garden? This episode of Tech Bites is for you. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners. God, I love that song. It never gets old. And everybody in the studio, when they hear it, it comes on. Everybody always kind of taps their feet and nods their head to the beat. So I think it's worth giving a little shout out to the DJ who made that song. His name is Uptown Nico. He is part of the full service DJ radio party. And if you like that little piece of music, you should check him out on SoundCloud. I believe he has a bunch of tracks and stuff like that there. And Look for Uptown Nico on the local DJ circuit he plays out and about quite regularly. So we thank Uptown Nico for the Tech Bites theme song. Tech Bites is the weekly show on the Heritage Radio where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And this fall season, we are talking at a brand new time, Thursdays at 11 a.m., so set a calendar reminder. Make sure you check us out every Thursday at 11. Today in the studio, we have some really interesting people who are going to talk today about gardening and growing food in places where you think you might not have been able to. Um, we have some founders of some interesting products and some really interesting interactive exhibits around the city. I'm really looking forward to getting into that later in the show. But like we always do, we start off each episode talking about apps that we like, apps that we use, an old favorite or a brand new discovery. So first up, we have Jennifer bruton Farah, who is with Sprouts.io, and we'll be talking about her amazing Kickstarter campaign that starts this week. Um, but before we get there, you're a tech person. Do you have an app that you like? Oh, the apps. That's a difficult one. Um, but I will say, actually, one, and we, we even use it for reference for what we're doing with Sprouts.io, too, is actually uh, the Clue app. I don't know if you've used that app before. I have no idea what it is, and the thing I'm thinking of is the board game. 
Ah, no. <laughs> you know, do, David is nodding his head vigorously in the booth. Not, not vigorously. I could see it from here. It was vigorous. <laughs> well, the Clue app, no. Unlike the game, uh, it's a little bit different. Um, what's it's, it's interesting because it reminds me uh, quite a bit of the plants and their cycles, but it's actually uh, an app for women to look at their periods and kind of timing oh, okay. of their cycle. To track that. Yeah. Like a lady calendar. It. Exactly. Okay. Um, so Why is it called Clue? You know, I don't actually know why they named it. To make it to mysterious? Maybe. I don't know. Make it know. discreet on your home screen? Yeah. I, I'm not sure originally why they named it, but I think it's a great app because it's it's very intuitive. It's very kind of informative. You put in the days around your cycle, and, and it really it helps you kind of track it. And it also gives you information about yourself and your body, and you can kind of learn through this app in, in a simple way. Um, but what's interesting is it reminds me in some ways of the cycle of also growing as well. So it, we're more like uh, plants than one might originally think. So... That's actually one of the reasons why I like the Clue app, too. Can you spell Clue for us? Uh, it's C-L-U-E. Oh, so actual normal spelling. I was, yeah. I was anticipating some wacky app spelling, like, no. you know. No. K-L-O-O. <laughs> and I'm assuming it's a free app for both iPhone and Android. It is. I, well, at least I know for iPhone, but yeah. Okay. We have not discussed that one on the show. Always good to learn something something new. So, David, you were nodding vigorously back there in the booth. Do you have an <laughs> app that you're interested in this week? Um, yeah, there's this little under-the-radar app known as Spotify. I don't know if anybody here has that. <laughs> but, uh, no, Is I was that just, new? Yeah, I think so. I think so. No, I, I was just <laughs> at the beach this past weekend, and I just, you know... It's really the the perfect solution for having music on the beach, and you have a little Bluetooth uh, speaker to go with it. Pair it with your phone. It just like it really beats furiously burning CDs or organizing music in some other way the night before you go on a trip. Although I guess there's something to be said for that as well. But Spotify is great. So you don't just have music on your phone that you have a playlist for, or you just don't play the music on I mean, your I do phone. Have you music. want different music or yeah, I have, other I have music? music on my phone, but the stuff that's really accessible through spotify it's just easier to to stream it i find okay spotify that's yeah. good for portable party listening on the beach although Absolutely. beach time might be over but mm, still holding on we got we got a couple more days okay hold on to it you hold on to that <laughs> also with us is amanda mcdonald crowley do you have a an app that you like or that you use um, well, you put me on the spot there also, and I kind of opened my phone to look at my apps <laughs> as you were chatting. Um, a map, an, an app that I really like when I'm traveling is Ullman Maps because I can then... Oh, I've not heard of that yeah, one. Yeah, they're really good maps, and they're really great city maps, and it means you know when you're in Venice and getting lost in all of the bridges, you can also find great restaurants and, um, and, you know, and local sightseeing stuff. So I quite like the Ullman Maps. Ullman. U L. M A N. U L M A N. Yeah. Maps. Is that a free app or do you? Yep, they're free apps. And oh. City Maps to Go. It's actually U L M O N, I apologize. U L M O N. Okay. City Maps free. to Go. Free. City Maps to Go. And Great. they're then on your phone, so you don't have to find Wi Fi or. 
Yeah, that's really important because if a travel app is not indigenous to your phone and you need Wi-Fi or you inadvertently spend $175 looking at the map because you had to download the data. (laughs) Yeah, so that's a good one. I like that. The, my app this week is, is something that's not quite so new. And interestingly, similar to David, I was using it to listen to music, but I downloaded the YouTube app. Because, you know, interestingly, you may not be able to exactly listen to the music you want on some of the music streaming services, you know, like Pandora or like Spotify. You know, you can maybe find some of the music by an artist that you like, but just about everybody has videos that they release and you can play the video and listen to the music. And now the videos are grouped so they'll kind of automatically play through so you could actually listen to an entire album's worth of music and just not pay attention to the video. There's a lot of... I'm sorry, go ahead. So I discovered that recently and then I downloaded the YouTube app because the videos, you know, play better and download into the app than they do if you're just on your browser, on your phone. There's a lot of rare music on YouTube as well. It's, like, great for record collectors. You know, the website Discogs, they'll always have an embedded YouTube video or videos on any page for a release. So it's, like, pretty comprehensive. Very interesting, and I've gotten a bunch of pop-ups while I've been in the app to download the YouTube Music app, which I have not done yet. Has that, have you taken a look at that, David? Uh, no, I have not. Okay, so maybe I'll check that out, and maybe we'll talk about that next week. That's a plan. Okay. So now that we've dispensed with all the apps, let's get to the conversation at hand. Food and technology. It's really interesting about food tech when it comes to growing food. There's really, we were talking about this earlier before the show, there's kind of a dividing line between good food tech and bad food tech. I think today's show, we're going to fall on the good side of the good food tech and using technology to grow food. Jenny has a very interesting product called Sprouts.io, which I will let her describe. They are launching their Kickstarter this week. And it will run until the 19th of October. And it is basically a small, you know, hydroculture, hydroponic growing system so that you can grow your own produce anywhere. Even in like a dark basement apartment in New York City that has no direct sunlight or air from the outside world. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So for people with small apartments, uh, it's very, very helpful. In fact, that's actually where the whole thing kind of stemmed from, um, because I used to have a garden growing up as a kid, and I grew tomatoes in the garden, and they were super delicious. And when I moved away and went to the city for college, as many of us do, uh, I didn't have access anymore to fresh produce like that. And I wanted to be able to have a way to grow and and still continue to grow and participate in growing and also just have like fresh produce even in winter. So that was kind of the impetus. What about the fresh produce in the grocery store in winter? Well, I think we all know that that's a pretty sad story. Um, And I, you know, it's funny, I do use the tomato reference a lot just because for me it's the most kind of, you know, the saddest piece of of our food system right now because I think all of us for years have been like, why do these tomatoes not taste good anymore without actually knowing what the case is? And, 
you know, the problem is that they pick those tomatoes pre-ripen, and then they're sent on this really long supply chain where they're expected to ripen. And so when you go to the grocery store, you get this red-looking tomato, but it doesn't have any of the flavor. It doesn't have any of the texture that a tomato should have. Um, it's almost like just a cosmetic ripening. Like it yes. turns red. And it's the same thing also with stone fruit in the on the East Coast, specifically around New York. We had an abysmal peach season. Um, and the peaches were very hard and green, and there were not a lot of good peaches around. But when things get to the grocery store, they look ripe. Like a tomato is red, and it's ripened, but it doesn't have, doesn't seem to have acquired any of the other characteristics of ripe fruit, just the color. Yeah. I mean, what's crazy, too, and a lot of people don't know this, um, if you go to the frozen food section in your grocery store, and you get some produce from there... It generally has more nutritional content than the fresh produce aisle in your grocery store. Why is that? Because they actually pick it when the produce is ripe, and then they flash freeze it. So the texture, not so wonderful. But in terms of the nutrients, it has the nutrients that your plant should have when you're actually picking the produce fresh and ripe off the vine, um, which is, for us, the thing that we're most promoting with Sprouts IO is grow it yourself, participate in the process of growing it, and pick it fresh off the vine. So it has that flavor, it has that texture that you expect your produce to have. Um, but that's something that I think we've just come to accept now when we go to the grocery store that our produce is going to be, hmm, you know, there sort are, of has flavor, maybe not. There are children in America, certainly, who have never had anything but a sort of winter tomato. Yeah, which is pretty sad. <laughs> so why do I need a revolutionary, super smart, software, censored, hydroponic, aeroponic system to grow these things? Why can't I just sort of have a window box or a kitchen garden or something like that? What's the... So we get a lot of people who write in to us that say, I have a black thumb, I don't know how to grow, I'm almost afraid of my plants, and everything that I touch, I end up killing. Um, actually, a big majority of the people who write in to us feel that way. It's almost like a plant guilt or something like that. Um, so plants are, you know, they're difficult. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes with them and how they're growing and what they need, unless you have, you know, a degree in horticulture. Outside of that, most of us don't really know. So part of what we do with Sprouts.io is we make that more transparent to people. So we look at the environment that the plant's growing in and say, you know, what's the optimal environment for this particular plant to grow in? Um, does it need more misting? Does it need more nutrients? Does it need more lighting? And we optimize how the produce actually grows in system. And that's what gets us to the point where, you know, we can have a tomato that one might be savory, and another might be sweet. So based on your personal preferences for taste, you can start to customize that produce. And that's one of the things that we're really excited about. Um, when we've been working with um, some chefs. We've been working with Chef Barbara Lynch in the Boston area and looking at how we can really tailor that produce. And even you know before you get that produce into these incredible dishes, it's like, can you curate the produce before it even 
gets into the dish. Like how how can you do that and give this kind of larger palette of options? And that's, you know, of course that's in the realm of chefs, but I think what's great is once people start growing and have a good experience growing once, growing twice, they feel more confident and comfortable in growing so that they want to start tweaking their produce too. And that's what we find so exciting is that ability to really customize and personalize your produce. So they brought one of the Sprout I.O. Is it a system? Is it a planter? Like, what's the, what's the appropriate designative noun to use for this? Yes. Um, so we call it the Sprouts I.O. system um, okay. because it's comprised of three main components. The first is the device for growing. So that's basically everything that you first kind of see. Um, it's beautifully designed so that, you know... So you- for people listening, because it's hard to see on radio... <laughs> um, it looks like a white plastic bowl with a metal rim on it. To me, it looks like a big rice cooker without the lid. Um, but maybe other people would think it looks like a giant salad bowl or a mixing bowl. It's about mm, 13, 15 inches in diameter, about? Nearly, yeah, 12, very close. 12 inches in diameter and about, what, 10 inches high? Yes. And... So that's the container. Then there is a uh, plastic, almost like cover on it that's flat that is a design of circles that the plants grow through. It looks like this almost looks like basil or something like that. That's the plant. Well, right now we're growing actually petite Marseille peppers. Oh, okay. It's Um, beautiful, like green, leafy, thick, gorgeous. And then on one end of it is a, a lamp. And it almost looks like a reading lamp or a tableside lamp that or kind of looks like a shower head where it's a white plastic tube that comes up over the top and then curves. And then there's a white cone that has a lamp in it that shines right on the plant. We will post pictures of this on the TechBytes Facebook page and on TechBytes Instagram at TechBytesHRN so people can check it out. You can also go to the sprouts.io website and take a look at the pictures on the Kickstarter page. Great. Yeah, and this is, you know, the device is kind of the main, you know, the thing that you see most easily, right? But the second piece that we developed, which is an incredibly important part, is what we call the SIO, and that's the refill cartridge that includes the seeds, the nutrients, and the growing media for growing a variety of different produce. What is growing media? Because to me, media is TV, radio, magazines. I mean, I think of media in the you know information consumable category. Well, you can maybe say that in some ways. It is. It's a. It's a new kind of media for growing plants. Um, So we grow outside of soil. There's no soil involved in the system. Um, So the media actually is made from plant-based material. And what it does is provide the support structure for the roots of the plant. So really what your plant needs to grow is support. Um, So that growing media, uh, as I I mentioned, is plant-based. And it's actually fully compostable as well. So one of the things that's great with Sprouts IO is, you know, you're growing your produce and system, and then once you're harvesting, 
then you can just actually easily dispose of it and not need to worry that you're putting plastics in landfills or it's all made out of plants. Um, so that was really important to us um, when looking at how to actually grow to the point where we're actually testing how you could even transplant it into soil if you wanted to. And within three to six months, it fully decomposes. So we're working with some groups on that as well. Um, so that's the second piece that we developed. Um, and then the third piece, which is really, you know, kind of the intelligence of the system, is what we call Sprouts.io Grow. And that's really the software services that's the backbone of Sprouts.io. So you access it through the mobile application that you have on your phone. Um, and then you can check out, you know, how your plants are doing. Um, we even have a camera on board the system, which people are often like, wow, really? I can watch my plants grow? Like, that's amazing. So that's one of the favorite kind of features. So we do these really cool time lapses in the office of all the different plants growing. And most of us, like, never get to see that sort of thing because we're just in two totally different time scales, people and plants. But being able to see how they grow over time and kind of sharing that information is a really kind of cool feature. So you have the container, you have the plant-made uh, soil substitute support that the seeds grow in, and you have some sort of software computer something or other that is going to evaluate the atmosphere that it's in and then add water, mist, turn on the light for it to grow based on what kind of seeds it is and exactly. based on the environment. Yeah. So now I'm assuming then that people need to purchase the media to grow in. Can they put any kind of seed into it, or do they need to purchase seeds from you? So to start, we're doing it where we actually use the seeds um, and insert the seeds into the SIO. One, because it's we want to provide a very easy experience for people to start growing um, and really ensure the quality of the seeds, where they're coming from. So that's to start. Um, but one thing that we're planning on in the future is opening that up so that people can use their own seeds. And what's really cool is once people start growing in their homes and using their own seeds, if a lot of people like that and are testing with it, they almost become like our world lab where people are testing different types of produce. And if some become popular, they might become part of the Sprouts.io repertoire. So how many plants are you offering now? So when we launch, uh, we have, I believe it's 10 plants that we're launching with currently, and that'll be a mix of all different types of leafy greens, herbs, uh, fruiting plants like tomatoes and eggplants that I mentioned. Um, so it'll be a, a nice variety of plants to start. And then how many plants do you get with the kit? So it depends on what you're growing. Um, something like tomatoes is typically three to four plants um, per unit. Uh, something like uh, the baby kale would be multiple kale plants because people harvest them when they're little. Um, so it really just depends on what's actually being grown. So the Kickstarter price to get one, and you are doing the Kickstarter to raise the funds to go into production, and then when they're produced, then people who contributed to Kickstarter will get theirs. The entry level on the Kickstarter is $659. Yes. Yes, correct? Yes. So with that, how many different media things do I get to grow? 
So when you purchase the Sprouts I.O., um, it comes with a subscription of six of the SIO. And so basically the way that we do it, we care a lot about hospitality and experience and people being able to grow. So what's great is you're growing your plant, for instance, maybe petite marsai peppers. Um, we know when you're harvesting your produce so that we can already queue up the next set of produce um, and have it sent to you. So the idea is that, you know, you're constantly continuing to grow and receiving new seeds on a subscription basis. So that's cool and great and lovely. I mean, what will the final retail price be when it goes into production? Seven ninety nine, right? So eight hundred dollars. Yes. And six uh, six round subscription, I'll say, and then you purchase going forward. Yes. That seems like a really expensive tomato plant to have on the counter in my kitchen. And I'm a person who spends a lot of money on food, on buying food, experiencing food. Um, we do not shine away from quality products, ingredients, or equipment. But $800 to grow tomatoes on my counter seems like a lot. So, I mean, when things are initial technology, they're always, you know, much more expensive than when they become mass and becomes more accessible. Is this, is this really a viable thing? Is this a, you know, not a curiosity, but is this like a cool, fun thing that a very small percentage of people will already interested in it would do? Is this like a preaching to the choir kind of amazing thing you would buy as a gift or something for somebody or I mean people aren't you don't really expect that people are going to grow all of the tomatoes for their house from this or you do oh yeah we 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 do um I think for us what's really important is creating this kind of experience that's seamless across the board um and and the reason for that is that we don't want it to be something that people grow in once. It should be something that becomes ubiquitous in your home and is a part of your life. And so in order for that to be the case, it needs to be beautiful, it needs to be elegant, and it needs to be delightful. And so in part for us, it's creating that kind of seamless experience. But on top of it, we're really economical in the long run. So what's great is when you purchase a Sprouts IO, if you're continuing to use it, which is you know, our intent and our core belief is to really get people to continue using the Sprouts IO device. Within seven months, the device actually pays for itself on the produce that you've grown and saved with the Sprouts IO system. Okay. I'm sure it depends on where you shop. <laughs> depending how many months it takes. Um, I think $800 is maybe a little pricey to get people to buy into an experience that's going to ultimately, you hope, that sort of like change their kind of philosophy and, and lifestyle of eating. But it's really interesting. It's really well done. It is very beautiful. The plants are green and lush and look delicious. So we'll definitely, you know, wish you luck and, and see how that goes. But definitely having people experience uh, their own making food, getting food, cooking food, the, the closer people are to that, definitely the better it is. There's a, one of these very new kind of fast, casual salad, vegetable-type restaurants, um, a chain. And I was uh, speaking with one of the owners, and he was saying that while they could have enough 
outlet to create a commissary kitchen and could do sort of mass production on everything and then just drop it off at the different outlets. They were very intentionally not doing that and making all the production work happen on site in the individual shops because they wanted the people working there to sort of have you know the the fruits and vegetables coming from you know directly from the farm and sort of seeing that and having the experience of like you know having it fresh and preparing it and making it because then they thought that that would then translate into you know a better experience for the end customer because the people working with the product will have a much greater affinity for what they're selling in the experience which i thought was very interesting so to tag it to um you know the more people experience things and are able to get up close and touch it. Amanda um, is one of the curators of something called, I'm going to, Swale. That's correct, Swale. Swale, New York, which is a floating food forest. And we have to take a quick break right now, but when we come back, Amanda's going to talk to us about the floating food forest off the Brooklyn Bridge Park. Stay with us. And this one is called Torchlight by Rectech. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Peter Kim, the executive director of MOFAD, the Museum of Food and Drink. We're a nonprofit founded by Dave Arnold, the host of Cooking Issues here on the Heritage Radio Network, and we want to take people on a learning adventure through the world of food. We just opened MoFad Lab, our gallery space at 62 Bayard Street in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, where we are currently showing Flavor, Making It and Faking It. Flavor features some very cool sensory interaction. Flavor tablets deliver tastings of vanilla and umami, and the Willy Wonka-inspired smell synth lets you compose over half a million different flavors. So come on by and visit MoFad Lab. We're open five days a week, and tickets are $5 for kids and $10 for adults. Learn more about the Museum of Food and Drink at mofad.org. you've just joined us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly radio show where we talk about the intersection of food and technology. And this fall season, we are having that conversation on Thursdays at 11 a.m., which is our new time. We are always on the Heritage Radio Network. We are a .org. We are a 501c3 charity. And we keep the lights on and the shows on air exclusively with support from our members, listeners, and underwriters. So if you like this show and you think it's important to talk about food, go to Heritage Radio, click the beating heart, go to our donations page, and, you know, throw us a couple bucks. Maybe what you spent on coffee today or maybe what you spent on produce at the farmer's market. If you click the Tech Bytes drop down, I'll send you a little PDF recipe book. So... That's my little public service announcement. We are talking with Amanda McDonald Crowley, who is one of the curators for something called Swall New no, York. Swale. You got it right the first I time. I got it right the first time. <laughs> Swale, New York. It is a floating food forest 
off of the Brooklyn Bridge Park at Pier 5. And she's talking about this because this show is about the experience of bringing people closer to the plants and food that we grow, which a lot of us who live in urban environments are completely disconnected from. And the idea is the more people have that connection and understand where their food comes from, maybe get excited about that, then maybe they'll want to grow their own food at home, like with Sprouts.io, or look to farmer's markets and maybe slowly start to change a little bit of, of how we gather and make our food. So explain to us what a food forest is and how this almost sounding impossible thing of building a actually edible interactive food forest that's floating on the river off of Brooklyn. I mean, it sounds amazing and magical and almost unbelievable. It is magical and it's very beautiful. Um, Mary Mattingly is the artist who founded and devised the idea of building a floating food forest. Um, Interestingly, Jenny and I both met one another when I was working at IBEAM, which was an art and, well, is an art and technology centre in Brooklyn now. We, and when we were working there, it was over in Chelsea. And Mary Mattingly was also um, an artist who worked with us there. So we, as, as an art and technology centre, we were interested in the intersection between um, art and technology, but it was also you know, about culture. And we had a sustainability research group set up there that Jenny participated in and then Mary participated in later. We just realised you didn't, you guys didn't actually overlap at, at, at IBM. Um, but the, the sustainability research group we had there really started to look at food tech. Um, and when Jenny was working there, she was actually working on a, on a project that was harvesting energy from a revo- re- revolving door but started moving into the uh, food area too. So it's funny that several years later both of us are sitting here talking about uh, food tech rather than (laughs) art and tech. Um, Mary uh, um, has um, a passion for working on the border and has done several projects where she was where she has worked and built projects that are on the border. She thinks of the water as a commons and she did a project several years ago uh, where she lived and worked on on a barge, a project called the Water Pod Project um, it, it had quite a different uh, rationale. It was really thinking about sustainable architectural solutions for sea level rising, what it might look like, what, how, how our lives might change. But one of the conversations that she had when she did that project in uh, 2009 was with a group called uh, YMPJ, Youth Ministries for Peace and Justice, um, who work in the Bronx, uh, when she was docked on, at, a, at Concrete, Plant Park, Concrete Plant Park on the Bronx River. And that conversation went something like, well, you're spending a lot of time growing your food to survive on the barge. Um, And they started to talk about what permacultural solutions might look like. Um, So So the project in 2009 was about the architecture and living on on water. water. And a result of that was that in order for them to sustain, sustain themselves on the barge on the water... They were growing some of their own food. They were for growing the duration, all of their own, all food, of their own food, food for the duration. duration. So then that idea yeah. became... So the, 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 yeah, so that was an agricultural solution because they were growing annuals. So peppers and tomatoes and, and things that you might see in a community garden. Um, but the conversation then was around what might it look like if you started growing with permacultural solutions, which are um, perennials. So with time, uh, the, a perennial forest or a food forest will replenish itself, so require less labour, if you like. 
And, and Mary did a bit of an investigation back then and they stated, well, why don't we grow food in public spaces in New York City? And she discovered that it's actually illegal to grow food in public space in New York City. I did so not know that. We're sitting wow. here at Roberta's and there's a fabulous... Uh, a roof garden here growing food and I'm a member of a community garden in I, I don't know that this is a public space though. no it's not, it's a private yeah, public space exactly, public so, space. We, so we do grow a lot of food in New York City on rooftops or right. in our community gardens um, but it's actually not legal to grow food in public space. So Central Park or so Washington Central Park, Park or, or Brooklyn Bridge, Brooklyn Park, Bridge or... Park or in your median strip outside of your apartment um, and right. you know, some 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 of that is with good reason. And, you know, the the soil quality in New York is is questionable. Um, but Mary's really air trying quality to, also air quality less than soil quality. As I, mean, I think the soil the air quality is less of a problem. I think for um, growing food, and I'm not concerned about the air quality when I'm growing food in my community garden or when I will be growing uh, food with my sprouts, my new sprouts I.O. device that I might have in my kitchen. Um, so, you know the, 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 you know, the tech solutions that we have on the barge are, you know, fairly low-tech in lots of ways, but um, Mary's also been inviting a lot of people on board the barge to host events, to have conversations, to do performances... Um, Biomarts uh, is an artist collective who built a structure on the barge and are wanting to do projection. Um, they've got soil monitors and air monitors and water monitors that are attached to the barge and are doing data visualizations. Well, there, to run the projectors, we required power. So um, Mary's worked with a crew who have developed you know, solar solutions that also uh, powers our watering system. Right. And I know I just saw just saw an Instagram. Um, image from Mary yesterday is that work was completed on the uh, on the on the filtration the sand the uh, soil the sand filtration system that we've been building building to look at uh, the possibility of using river water and filtering that so we can water the plants with that so so, um, so, so a yeah, lot it's of really technical solutions to oh. sort of keep everything afloat Tech, and create the right environment using exactly. the elements that you have around you, you. Using the elements that we have around us, but at the same time then working with other organisations in the city to um, get compost. Uh, when, we know, when we're testing the soil and know what is required, then you know, we, we actually were working um, with uh, Earth Matters on Governor's Island when we were parked there, and um, they, were be, they were able to give us the kind of compost that each of our different plants needed and we'd, we'd say what the problem was and they would uh, deliver solutions to the kind of compost we might want. So while it's parked there and it, there are these different uh, pieces of you know research and maintenance happening, the public's allowed to come and visit. Absolutely. Um, so it is a floating food forest. People can not only come and visit, they can come and pick food for free. Uh, that's one of Mary's objectives wow. is to say that you know if we're growing food in public free spaces... Kale. Free kale. Free kale, people. Yeah, free kale. Free kale, <laughs> free kale in Brooklyn. Uh, the blueberries were all picked by our young people up in, up in the Bronx, so there's no blueberries left for the season, but there's certainly kale plants, lots of basil... Um, and then foodstuffs that I didn't, you know, like thinking about permacultural solutions, there's, um, you know, I was not aware that, that daylilies, for example, are an edible flower and they're quite delicious, like a zucchini flower. So we're growing a lot, we have a lot of daylilies growing on the barge, lots and lots of different types of mint. Um, uh, 
anise hyssop, which is totally delicious and I've discovered also good for our livers, so I'm putting anise hyssop leaves into my salads at the moment. There's also, I noticed on the website, purslane and things like that, which are very fancy, chefy restaurant type. But in greens. fact, weeds. Yes. And you see them all over the city. Yes. I've, I've actually started wondering, I've learned a lot about permaculture. I mean, I am a community gardener myself, as well as being an art curator, so I know a little bit about growing, but I've learned a lot about permaculture too. So choke breeze and service breeze and things that are um, native plants that um, I didn't realise that were necessarily edible. So I now walk around the city and I see all of the weeds that are edible. It's also so crazy that, you know, the reason why we don't know about these things too is just because normally you go to the grocery store and it's like you only have a selection of things that are consistently there that's kind of chosen for you. Mm. But like the world of purslane and hislop and these aren't strange things, it's just... We don't have access to them right now. Or access to knowledge about it. We, yeah. We're also growing a lot of medicinal, so lots so, of echinacea, good for winter colds. With this project, you have all of the information that you're gathering, practical information about all of these different tech solutions, you know, filtering water, solar powered. What's the um, sort of public awareness component or the... What's the component of the end goal that you hope people will have when they come and visit? Because this could very easily have been a, a university floating barge somewhere that the public did not visit that was just purely research and purely functional and still, still acquiring really useful, useful technology and information but not having that public component where they can interact with it. Yeah. Well, as I said, I mean, Mary Mattingly's goal, end goal with the project is for us to really reconsider what it might look like if we are able to grow food in public spaces in New York City in particular. There are lots of cities in the world where it, you know, there are fruiting trees in public space and it's legal to pick pick food. And there is, in fact, even in Brooklyn Bridge Park, they do do tours of the edible plants that are planted in the park but it's point and look and this is what you would do to plant it in your own garden it's not about harvesting from city spaces and you know one of I know that you know part of the conversations that Mary's been having people have you know said but you know people will over harvest they're concerned that we've found exactly the opposite people have been incredibly generous people have bought plants on board and donated them to us so we can grow them further um, bought seeds and plants on so so it, is, it does become you know if you care about your body and your food and what you're putting into your mouth if you're growing some of it yourself and I think you know that's one of the things that Michael Pollan has has said if you grow some of your own food then you understand better what it is you're selecting when you go to the grocery I mean I have to admit that I pretty much buy all my food at a local farmer's market and that the farmer's markets when I moved to New York City were only open for the summers and now they're open year-round one gets a little sick of root vegetables by the end of winter. Um, but if you're growing some of your own food at home or in a community garden or freezing some of it as well, then you can always supplement what you're, what you're buying or understand better what it is that you're purchasing. So these are two really extremely different projects, um, but both of them have this kind of same end goal, which is to integrate you know, growing food into the day-to-day life and not make it a thing that's, you know, segregated out in a specially designated area, but just have it be a part of our, our day-to-day life in our day-to-day spaces. Um, really interesting and I think really great and on sort of the good side of that food technology debate, um, 
where there's one side where it seems to be not great and one side where it's all good. At the end of each show, I always like to ask my guests for a piece of actionable advice. Really quickly, how would you start a garden? What's the, one, what's the most important thing to starting a garden? One thing. Well, of course, I'm going to say grow on sprouts, I know. Well, yeah. But um, I think it's just a, an openness and a willingness to try because I think a lot of people have, you know, it's almost like fright of plants because they don't know what's going on with them because they think that they kill them. Everybody thinks that they have a black thumb. Um, and I think it's just opening yourself up to say, okay, I'm going to try this. And, you know, for us, of course, I'm going to say with Sprouts.io, that's a, that's a huge part of what we do is like, it's baby steps, right? You start growing, you have a good experience growing once, growing twice, and then you can participate in, in your produce in general. So I think that's great advice for growing and for life. Give it a shot, be open, and it's going to be okay. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you did, come back and see us again. I'm Jennifer Leutzi, and this is Tech Bites. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.